this gap between regular training and fight level training. I mean, if you think about coaches, to what level of discipline, to what level of commitment, to what level of taking on the pain necessary are we really doing? Okay, Coach's Commonplace book. Dean, good to be with you. Brilliant, Miller. Always a pleasure. So, Dean, before we started recording here, I was asking you about the cool background that you've designed for yourself there. I said, it looks like you've got a great new designer to help you spruce up your space. What's going on? <laughs> yes, full disclosure, green screen. Oh, look, my highlighter disappeared. Right, <laughs> green screen. It's magic. Oh, I um, I was using the blurry background for a while and I'm like, okay, listen, I can't go into 2023 with a continuation of this blurred thing. So I thought I found something new, Canva. And I, I told my kids, this thing's amazing. You can, I mean, even I, old man, me can do some amazing things here. And my kids are like, dad, we've been using this for like six years. <laughs> and I was like, what? Nobody told me. Yeah, so I mean, so we're able to take our logo. Um, yeah, my uh, microphone just showed up. Not sure how I did that. Uh, top ten. Remember to smile. But, uh, but the books the are real, coaches. right? Books. Those have got to be real, Dean. <laughs> oh, no, it's not real. No, the pick my brain. I want to talk about that when when you when you're ready. Yeah, tell me about that. So pick my brain. I was reading that over your shoulder. Why pick this? Pickmybrain.world. If you're listening to this. Hit pause, go dial this thing up. Is that the words? Go click it. Pick my brain that world. Maxine Cunningham is the founder creator of this site and just has this vision for Tim, how easy can we make it to share knowledge? So I think about the Coffin Foundation that has the million cups with the idea of every Wednesday you could be in any major city, I think at 8 a.m. And go have a cup of coffee and bring in entrepreneurs and, and, and solution-based individuals with those that want to invest. Because the Kauffman Foundation believes that's how we make the world better. Yeah. Maxine, and, and connections. Go ahead. By the yes, way, just yes. to jump in on that. I, I remember reading when I read um, the Steve Jobs biography by Walter Isaacson, yeah. when he got to the part about when, um, when Jobs bought Pixar or yes. that whole thing happened that they were looking at redesigning the offices and he got really hands-on in the layout because he knew that if he could create a space that would encourage these random connections between people in different departments, that it would benefit the company overall. So yeah, kind of what you're brilliant. saying here is whether it's in the world, whether it's in an organization, whether it's something we could do in our own home, bumping into, you know, maybe our kids a little more often that these, these kind of connections strengthen the strengthen our lives. Right. Yes. And I love the language that Maxine has chosen here. A pick my brain. I don't know. Something about that, just the way that imagery resonated with me. And so you sign up, thousands already have, maybe even tens of thousands. And she, the site's getting better of you can pick very, very specifically what you're looking for. My suggestion was how cool would it be to have like a Spotify playlist of people? Like I want to fall pumpkin spicy kind of a feel of people that I want to go pick their brains. And so mm -hmm. let it pull out a top 10 list. So whether I want to do that over the course of the month or the course of a year, let me just go follow this playlist. So last night, 
the first brain I've picked, my brain's been picked three times now. Loved it. I picked this, this, this woman's brain. She's the first Iranian woman to win the world championship in kickboxing. And for 30 minutes, I have access to her to wow. pick her brain. And I'm asking her all kinds of questions about that level of discipline and winners want to win and what's your why, relationship to not winning. Yeah, go ahead. I, why did you pick her? Like, and how much do you see about a person? Do you see their name and their credentials or like, what do you see and, and how and why did you choose her? Yeah. Well, so each individual creates their own biography and some of them are, are, are just very, very academic and some of them are just very silly and, and, and more of a playful side. There was something about her and her bio and these pictures that she has, you're just intrigued to, I've got to know the story. Because hmm. she talks about when she first started her training in Iran, she had to wear the full clothing, the hijab, and I mean, fully covered while doing kickboxing. Wow. And, the, and so women in that culture, I'm not an expert there, but really of lower value. And just because she's constantly being told, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And not only did she do it, she won the world championship. Wow. So I wanted to talk to her. And so one of the phrases that she, that she said, Brian, and I don't, I'll never forget it, of just how far off regular training is from fight training. So I know so many of us that ride our Peloton and like, I'm ready for the Tour de France. Yes. Or, or <laughs> right. Or I have, I've, 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 I walked my neighborhood. I'm clearly ready for something in the Olympics. This gap between regular training and fight level training. I mean, you think about coaches to what level of discipline, to what level of commitment, to what level of taking on the pain necessary are we really doing? So she talked about how bruised her leg was, and yet her coach then had her do 500 more leg kicks. Wow. That's fight level training. Fascinating. Pickmybrain.world. Unbelievable people that have made themselves available for free to help share knowledge. Amazing wow. concept. That's really cool. That thing too that you're saying about the regular training versus fight level training immediately where my mind went was then to fighting, right? Because I'll bet this another, it's another yeah. experience again. And in some way, although we can differ our training from just going through the motions and quote unquote, regular training to fight level training, that in some ways you can't really recreate the experience of a fight. It's just you're, then you're in it. But yeah, yeah that's, once you that's get, really once you get, once you get hit, right. They, the tendency is to lose all that training in that moment. But yeah. that's, but that's, and she talked about that, of how to get to that fight level training, you have to have that level of testing, right? You really have to be hit. You have to be put in the most uncomfortable of situations so that you know and trust that you can get yourself back out of that. But, but, but that's what I've been diving into uh, since wow. we last talked and those types of awesome. topics. Right on. What about you? What about you? So I know this beginning portion of these coaches commonplace books, um, we usually talk about what we've termed our information diet. What are we consuming? Uh, what have we been taking in? One, one thing I'll just say here, I finally, uh, got with the rest of the world and I saw Top Gun Maverick. I didn't realize hey. it actually had left theaters and then came back. Oh. So I was able to go see it in IMAX. Yeah. Nice uh, work. So, uh, I did see that and I think it's the perfect Hollywood film, isn't it? Did you see mm -hmm. it? 
Oh yeah. I cried. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect Hollywood film. Um, so anyway, that was part of my information diet. I don't know where that came from. It wasn't one of the things I wrote down to share with you what I've got. Um, and the first thing, by the way, I know in these conversations, we like to have a little bit of structure beyond just what have we been consuming and even how has it been blessing our lives and improving our lives, but also toward the end, sharing something that can help us to live a good life, something that can help us as coaches to earn recognition and money and something that can help us to be a great coach or be more effective. So the first thing in my, in my info diet is actually, I'm going to jump ahead to the thing that I think can help us to live uh, live well, to live a good life. And it's what I've not been consuming. Mm. Somebody along my learning journey had introduced me to the concept of a uh, not doing now list, right? And so much personal growth is about doing more. It's about these tricks and these hacks and these, you know, routines and systems and processes and practices and all this that we just add and we layer and we layer and we layer. It can become really, really stressful. And someone introduced me to this idea of, yeah, maybe there's a time and a place for that to be sure. But what about the stuff that you're consciously cutting out? What mm -hmm. about something to create space in your life, whether it's for rest, whether it's for reflection, whether it's, you know, for some other kind of growth to appear. But I actually follow that now of a not doing now list. So I have it, there's about five or six things on it. And from time to time, I have to, I have to uh, revisit it. I get to revisit <laughs> it and look at what are the things that I committed to myself that I'm not doing now that I'm actually doing now. <laughs> yeah. Give us an example. The top one is um, scrolling social media or online news mindlessly. Mm. And I don't know about you, but I, I have, um, I actually really like Google news. I like that it curates things that yeah. I find interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I would find that in moments um, throughout each day, I'll bet if you, and I'm sure I could go use an app and calculate this, but I was probably using 30 minutes a day in little pockets, a minute here, three minutes there. It would just be kind of like a mindless go-to if right. I was waiting for my right. daughter to finish right. brushing her teeth or right. right when I woke up in the morning, or sometimes even if I was in the car waiting for the light to turn green. Like, I mean, that's how ridiculous <laughs> it was. Yeah. Right? Now, did you fill it with something else mindless? No. Um, I, I, what I will do now over the last couple of weeks, since I revisited and recommitted to what was on my not doing now list is I would be aware of the impulse to check that. Mm. And then I would consciously be present. I would either tune into my breath or I would notice something in my environment, or I would repeat some kind of a mantra or that's really you know, good. I like that. I like that. And I felt, I felt more peace. I realized, you know, there's no real finish line in life. I mean, we die eventually, but this thing, well, so, so it's not like the answer, but it's been, it's right. been a great practice over the last couple of weeks. Have you found yourself disappointed now that you've come to realize how often the brilliant Miller has been mindlessly scrolling? No, not at all. I, I, I really do have this belief that we're just these sophisticated organisms, maybe not all that sophisticated, you know, mm. with this evolutionary and biological heritage. And there are definitely parts to us. There's these different parts There's our body. Maybe there's our spirit, there's our mind, this kind of thing. And more and more, I have cultivated the, the witness attitude or the observer, right. And yeah. what I attempt to do with that is compassion and just noticing and it's like, oh, there it is again. There's that tendency, just like, oh, I'm hungry, yeah. I'm thirsty, whatever. Yeah. Brilliant. I'll tell you what, you've, you're so consistent 
in how serious you can be in observational and to be a witness. And at the same time, be so kind to yourself and be so kind to others, not in a mediocrity type of a way, but in just in this paradoxical type of a, this is meaningful and I will stop doing that. And yet when you find yourself doing what you said you wouldn't do, you're kind to yourself. Yeah. This is nice work on that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I realize, you know, all human behavior really does seem to be a series of patterns and there's the patterns we like and the patterns we don't like and the ones that work for us and the ones that don't and some that do until they don't. And, you know, <laughs> and I've done this before. Like I, I was remembering, I went through this media diet, this news diet years, a couple of years ago. And I just figured if something important happens, someone else will tell me, <laughs> which is maybe yeah. the most intelligent <laughs> thing. But I'll always yeah, remember because that, that was when Tiger Woods got in a crash or something and he was oh, yeah. or something. and people yeah. were talking about it and it happened like the day before. But I'm like, oh, I hadn't even heard about that. And people are like, where have you been? But anyway, how much do I need to know about the Kardashians yeah. or what's oh, going on with gosh. Elon Musk? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I think that's where your look does play in your advantage. Like maybe he did just crawl out of a rock. Yeah. (laughs) Serious. So that's part of it. That's part of what's been in my media diet or what I've been consuming. And then the other things um, I have, I'm looking around because I don't usually carry physical books around with me, but this one from the core by John Wyland was that subtitle, a new masculine paradigm for leading with love, living your truth and healing the world. It's a kind of blur, isn't it? Yeah. Masculine. This guy. No. I think he's an amazing teacher, like really um, a, a profound teacher. He was the, this book is something he's just recently published, but my wife signed me up for a workshop with him a couple of years ago. Mm. And he, it was in, um, it was in LA and we went there and it was sold out it was, I think he capped it at 50 people, but people had come from literally around the world and wow. it was an expensive workshop and it was intense. It was like three days. And I'm like, who is this guy? He doesn't have a podcast. He doesn't have a TV show. He doesn't have a book. Um, I haven't seen him on the internet, like a YouTube channel. Like it was literally just word of mouth was selling out these programs and about, you know, spiritual intimacy and embodied masculinity and divine feminine work and things like this. And this workshop we did was over the, um, it was actually over the Valentine's day weekend, which is really appropriate. Yeah. But I took away so much that has helped me uh, to be more patient, and I think, and kind and loving in my marriage than I probably would have otherwise been. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that John has finally published his book. Yeah, well, I definitely want to look at that. The word, I mean, I resonated. That's not the right word. I triggered to the word masculinity. Oh, really? Tell me about that. No, in a, no, in a good way. Yeah. I have positive relationships to that word. But I would say... The last 18 months, we've just kind of been bombarded, bombarded with masculine toxicity. Mm. What have you what have you learned just, just as a man, as a business owner, as a male coach? How are you mindful of masculinity? Um, and when to lean into that, when to not lean into that? Does it change when you're in a different crowd or with more a feminine energy? What have you learned? Yeah. Some of what I've learned and John is quick to acknowledge, you know, he was a student of David Dita, the way of the superior man for Mm -hmm. more than 10 years, study very closely with him. And, and so he draws a lot of his thought from 
from Dita's work and others and his own life and experience and so forth. But one of the things that John teaches that I find really valuable is he'll talk about the masculine as that which masculinity as consciousness and that which craves freedom. That ultimately that's what its core yearning is for. And, and even to back up half a step that this does not necessarily correspond with male and female, right? Masculine and feminine, although we often tend to think it does. Yeah, we do. But each of us has both within us. And what we're ultimately looking for, if we're going to be happy and healthy and fulfilled is a balance, some kind of a balance, or at least an awareness and an honoring of those energies within us and in, and within our relationship. Right. So there's an aspect to this that's almost mystical or elemental. I you like know? this. But I think, I think that's true. And when he says then that the masculine's essential yearning is for freedom, and that's where anything that will impinge on a masculine-oriented being on their sense of freedom is going to feel mm. frustrating, stymieing, mm. irritating, you know, this, this and kind of freedom, thing. not synonymous with selfishness. Yeah. Not, not with selfishness per se. So that that's a masculine orientation and the, the feminine is, uh, is of love mm. is of ultimately. So this, this really, I think a beautiful concept of the masculine is that which creates space and structure and the feminine is that which fills it and that a feminine energy is not just about love but it's also about flow and about movement and about the kinetic aspects of okay you have something defined you have an evening and and the masculine brings structure to it it's a time it's a start it's an end and then the feminine aspect of ourselves or perhaps of right, our partner right fills that with something so Again, it can sound a little esoteric right off, but John talks about these things in ways it's that- It's in the book. Yeah, it's in the book. So- I'm going to get it. Okay. If you get it, I'd love to talk to you about it and see see what your, what your thoughts are and what you apply. I will tell you this one thing that really has deepened the quality of my relationship with my wife. Mm. that John taught me when we did that weekend seminar was he would say, look, the feminine is always testing the masculine. Mm. Partly because- it's looking to know that the masculine is trustworthy. It's not just the masculine creates the structure, but there's also, it's, there's an expectation, particularly from the feminine, that the masculine has an integrity to that structure, that I'll be home when I say I will, that I'm with who I'm with, right. that I'm doing the right. things I'm doing, like all of this, that there's a, right. a truthfulness to all of that. And, and so then what John said is, look, if you find yourself being tested, being challenged, being questioned by a feminine partner, it's not that she's necessarily, it's not nagging. It's not, right. you know, even complaining. It's not demanding. I mean, you could experience it that way. And many of us do. Sure. Sure. But it's that the feminine is actually showing you what the world wants from you, what the world wants from you. I like that. Yeah. It's confirming, it's clarifying, it's connecting, it's communicating. Yeah. Is it more like fierceness? Is it more tenderness? Is it more truth? Is it, you know, more vulnerability? Like, and to see that and not just go, oh, well, this one person is doing this thing and then is this kind of person, but instead it's calling me to an awareness of where I lack integrity or where, you know, I'm maybe not as grounded as I could be or as conscious as I could be. So I think that books to me the right timing. We just dropped off our last youngest child at college and now empty nesters. And this could be a, a nice reminder, refresh of kind of setting the tone. In a new reality. I like yeah. that. Right on. Another way to look at our core. 
Yeah. Right. What's the title of the book? Remind uh, me. No, it's from the core. From the core. From the core. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Good. Hmm. So that, and then I've been reading. Um, I've been reading a couple books written by a guy named David Cadaby, but he's he's written a couple books about creativity, and I mean, really, I think they're about living well, but it's about expressing our truth. So he's written one called "The Art: The Heart to Start." Stop procrastinating and start creating, getting art done. That's the subtitle of that one. I like that. And then his next book, and he has a podcast called Love Your Work that I've listened to a few episodes now. And I'm really, first of all, I'm amazed at podcasts. Here we are recording a podcast. But first of all, like how amazing it is that all these people who have these interests or these talents are out there producing these podcasts and putting them into the world and they're, most of them are free. And a lot of them are actually really high quality. David's is one that's very thoughtful. Like it's evident to me, he puts a lot of himself into it. And I had never heard of him before I invited him to be on my show a few weeks ago, but I'm really glad I discovered him. And his most recent book, Mind Management, Not Time Management, Productivity mm-hmm. and creative, Creativity Matters, Getting Art Done. I've, I've loved this book. And he'll in this book, he talks about how basically the lies we tell ourselves that prevent us from bringing our art into the world and how we can think more effectively to overcome those impediments to sharing our work. Here's why I'm smiling. So my article today is from September psychology today Uh and it's titled six signs you're lying to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) How to to recognize when your confidence is covering up your self-deception. Oh, how perfect. And what a great segue. Look at that. So let's go to the, to the, uh, to the wisdom of the pages. Yeah. So Evan Parks, doctorate of psychiatry specializes in pain rehabilitation. (laughs) So six signs you're lying to yourself, how to recognize when your confidence is covering up your self-deception. I'm so curious because I still haven't scrolled down. So you haven't even now read that? No. Okay. So what, what's your take on this? How can you know when you're lying to yourself? Yeah. So I had lunch with my wife and so she participated in this. So the first thing that kind of came to mind is, you know, how, how would you know six signs? Um, ask your spouse and your friends. <laughs> and sometimes you don't even have to ask. Sometimes they'll just tell you. Yeah. Where your where your confidence is covering up your self-deception of like, really? One more time? Yet again, you're going to make this promise? Um, that's one that came to my mind. The other one is the mirror. So if you're if you're making things around health related or diets or uh strength, I mean, if you look in the mirror, man, the mirror reveals, right? Get well, get a full-length mirror. And, and, and reveal that birthday suit, the lie is yeah. staring, is staring right back at you. Um, the other one I, we, I, we, we looked at is being busy versus being productive mm-hmm. could be a sign that you're lying to yourself, that your confidence is covering up your self-deception. The fourth one is excuses or blame shifting that there's always this reason why 
you know, I wanted to, but this happened and that happened. And um, yeah. it's not, it's not my fault. Mm-hmm. That would be the fifth one. And the, the sixth one is your bank account. Say more. <laughs> <laughs> There's just this idea of, of being an entrepreneur, of being a hustler, having side gigs, um, or if you're listening to this podcast, you might have a mindset of, I want to, I want to start coaching and you've just got all of this self-confidence, but the bank account is empty mm-hmm. or negative. And, and so at some point there's, so, there's in some way that you're lying to yourself. Yeah. And so the, the evidence is you're not generating income, right? You're reading all the books and you've created a website and you have a podcast and you have a business card and you got all these things and you don't have a client. And so I think there's this, that go back to, to what that Iranian world champion kickboxer was talking about. You might not be training at a fight, at a fight level, at a mm. fight level yet. What do you think of what comes to your mind with six signs of, are you lying to yourself? That's interesting. You know, on that last point that you mentioned about like, check your bank account, kind of check the scoreboard, see if yeah. the evidence yeah. is congruent with the story you're telling yourself. And this is one that I actually think about a lot. Um, you know, like I'll think about, so I'm going to kind of digress for just a moment. I mean, it's still mm-hmm. on this topic, right? But I'll think I'll ask this question a lot about, you know, was Michael Jordan a champion before he ever won a championship? Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a literal sense, no, he didn't have, you couldn't look him up on Wikipedia to see how many back then Wikipedia didn't exist, but right. it wouldn't have listed champion. You know, there were no gold, there were no gold medals. There were no, you know, uh, NBA finals trophies. There was no hall of fame induction. There was nothing to indicate. There was no hardware to show right. that Michael Jordan was a champion, right. but in another way, you could be darn sure that the story he was telling himself was that he was a champion. And it's part of the persona that he embodied. It was what he lived into. It was what he proved to the world. Right. Right. So, and, and I'm reminded of this because David Cadaby, mm-hmm. he actually talks about this evil Knievel. He said that evil Knievel would tell, and I never had the chance to hear this. I've never heard this before. I read it in David's book, but he said that every time he met evil Knievel met someone, he would tell them like right up front, I'm going to jump the grand Canyon. And guess what? He never did. He jumped buses and stadiums and other things, but it was this fact that he let this dream guide him. Mm. So it's kind of interesting to me that where is, is the balance between like living a lie and living a dream that hasn't happened yet, living into a future that hasn't come to pass? Well, I like your, I like your distinction there, but my mind goes to that, but that's not living the lie. I think they were doing all of the behaviors, the leading indicators that for all intents and purposes should lead to that level of accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, think, I, I think the, the key words here is that your confidence is covering up self-deception. So if yeah. I had the same dream as Michael Jordan, there's a lot of self-deception that's happening <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, I just don't have the ability to even begin with. I could give my best effort and I'm not going to be able to dunk this basketball. Yeah. Ever self-deception. That's the lie. Yeah, that that's true. And, and this whole conversation too makes me think about this saying by the philosopher and mathematician Bertrand Russell, 
who said the, the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves, but wiser people are so full of doubts. Yeah. Yeah. So this, how do we know when we're being one of those fools or fanatics that's so full of confidence? And for me, mm. you know, like I'll go back to a very mystical level. I think it's mystical about if you can say it, it's not true. And if you can think it, it's not true. And even if you can find evidence and even if you can find agreement, other people, right? The whole world, even if the whole world believes something and it's not accurate, it doesn't make it true. That's right. right? And it's possible that the whole world believes something that's false. We have for a long time, as you know, the history of science tells us that. Yes. Yes. So the thing for me then is that there's a liberation in that of saying, look, nothing I believe is true. Like literally nothing. I don't even know how to know what the truth is. I don't know how to discern reality with these five senses in my intellect. I literally don't know how. <laughs> but then what that opens up is I go, look, whether I believe I'm the greatest in the world or I believe I'm a pile of dirt, neither one of those is true. So then the question isn't, is what I'm believing true? Is, is what I'm believing empowering me? Is it serving me to be the person I want to be, to live the life I want to live, to make the contribution that I want to make? So I kind of, I guess that's maybe almost sidestepping or spiritually bypassing the entire question. <laughs> oh, I think you just validated it because I could then follow up and then say, okay, brilliant. I'm following your, your argument here and the tenets that you would put in place. What signs would you look for that what you are saying that would be a good thing are in fact a good thing that you are making a difference? What would be the signs you'd be looking for? So just to read it in the in the reverse, six mm. signs that you're telling yourself the truth. Mm. And that then to me, it goes to physiology. What am I feeling in my body when yeah. I say something, when I think about something, when I move towards something physically or a person, am I feeling tension or am I feeling trepidation? Am I feeling tightness or openness? Is there a relaxation and a sense of expansion or am I feeling contraction? Right. And to me, that's where the body mind, you know, the body and the mind together looking, checking in with, am I on course? Like, is this my path? Is this true? Is this my truth? So to speak, right. Right. am I feeling peace and relaxation? And Dean, I'm reminded, I just want to share this brief story. I have a client and a friend who signed up with a coaching program I did a few years ago. And when I asked him at the outset, how will you know this worked for you? What, what do you want to get out of it? And how will you know it worked? And he said, I will know my purpose. And this was a successful entrepreneur. He'd already had an yeah. exit. He was running another company. He had all the freedom and the resources to go do what he wanted to in the world, but he didn't have a sense of purpose. Hmm. And so he signed up because he wanted to find his purpose. And he did the course. I didn't talk to him for more than a year. He came to an event I hosted and I saw him and I said, I've been thinking about you. And I wondered, what's your sense of purpose now? And he said, oh yeah, I don't really think about it a lot anymore, but I do feel more peace. And I went, yes. Yeah. Success. Yeah. Right. And how often we enter one, like we enter into one effort thinking we want one thing, but we're really trying to, to get something else. Yeah. So to me, this whole thing about listening, like, what is it? Are we feeling more peace at the end of the day? Or are we, again, are we feeling frustrated? Are we feeling anxious? Are we feeling drained and burned right. out? That right. to me is a sign that we're, what is it? What did you ask? Like living the truth? Yeah, yeah. Signs that you're living the truth versus a lot. Signs that you're lying to yourself. The confidence is overreaching or, or, or covering self-deception. Well, I think about something that Marshall Goldsmith, our friend says, uh, these three questions. If, is what you're doing having a positive impact on people? 
And a lot of people that you and I know would say yes. His next question is, if you were to do that and do more of that, would that make you uncomfortable? Or to tell people what you're doing, would that make you uncomfortable? And a lot of us say yes. And he's like, so what's more important? You helping and doing more for people? Or your feeling of comfort? I think a lot of them want to say, well, it's better for me to go help people. (laughs) (laughs) It may not be the case, though. I mean, because I, I mean, you're saying if this is causing me to not have peace, if this is causing me to be uncomfortable, is there a moral obligation for me to go and do more? Yeah. And even that is, it, it, it's so individual, right? Because it, right. We, we've all heard the saying like life begins at the end of your comfort zone and growth occurs where your right. comfort ends and stuff like that. And I think, and find your edge and lean into it and stuff. And I think there's <laughs> wisdom in that too. But if it's yes. then causing like mental health issues, you, because you're so far outside or it's really not you. So again, we all get to answer that's this good, brilliant. question for ourselves, you know, that's really, really good. Yeah. And so when I, I've had the opportunity to coach Olympic athletes and to talk to them after they have achieved. Mm -hmm. They're devastated. They're so disappointed because all of this effort to achieve this thing, and now they've achieved it and then realized, I don't know if this level of sacrifice was worth this. I mean, everything, back to that mental health aspect as, as maybe a sign to look for. Now, they're proud of what they've accomplished, but boy, there was a higher cost than they were anticipating. And yeah. then that great Western disease of I'll be happy when. Yeah. So then do you re-up with that next unbelievable, unattainable thing to go do that, to find your quote purpose? Yeah, great conversation. Yeah. So what does the author of this article oh, say? Yeah, great. I was almost ready to transition to yours. All right, <laughs> let's scroll down. Uh, uh, uh. So how to spot self-deception? Oh, this is interesting. So the first one is the weather cancels your plans. I wanted to be able to see your face when I say that. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so, so, all right. So what does she mean by it? Or what does he mean by this? So when you take a stand for something truly important, but a little bit of rain is not, and a little bit of rain is not going to stop you. Neither will the heat, cold, snow. It's kind of like, I guess, the mailman. You're lying to yourself if plans need to be canceled by something that's just mildly inconvenient, like Mm. the weather. Mm. Yeah, that's, I've heard uh, Father Gregory Boyle, the guy that started Homeboy Industries and works with, you know, formerly incarcerated people in California. He refers to this as a no matter whatness, Mm. cultivating that, that sense. And, you know, ultimately it's, it's a will, it's a determination, a self-determination. So Right. I think that's really interesting to be able to look outside ourselves and see if there's something in the environment that we're then using as an, an excuse to escape. That's pretty right. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The weather. The second one, you have no plan. He says, this should be obvious, but it's often not. I mean, so you have this idea of losing weight or getting in shape or writing a book or starting a business. And we don't have a plan. <laughs> there's, there's nothing written down whatsoever. You might be lying to yourself. You know, that's, that's actually very profound because you know, where my mind goes with that is actually to suicide, right? And people who are trained working with people who are suicidal, you know, the question they're meant, they, they are trained to ask 
is what's your plan? And when oh, somebody right. says, well, at five o'clock tonight, I'm going to go stand in front of a train or whatever. It's like, I mean, right. it was already serious. The fact that it ended the conversation, but the, yes. the question, what's your plan? That's good. It's like, a great boom. reminder. That's a great reminder. All right. Third one, you don't really know yourself. So do you know what kind of stories your mind is telling about you and who you are? So we need to catch these automatic thoughts and focus our attention on the person. We need to become the direction we want to head. So, yeah. What, what did you hear in that? I, in that, I just think no, none of us know ourselves. <laughs> you know, if we're, if we're honest, we might know some of our habits and tendencies and preferences and so forth. But, but I do think about the Maslow, the Abraham Maslow quote about we can step back into safety or forward toward growth. Like in any moment, right. we have two right. choices. And growth must be chosen again and again, and fear must yeah. be open again and again. Right. Yeah. What I what I hear in that of that knowing yourself is the the negative talk of well, I always or I always fail when I make a plan, or I never do this, or I always cheat. That self talk as as opposed to changing this to that idea of yet. Right. I'm not good at this. Well, yet. Right. To, to leave it open for. Because you can be telling yourself a lie uh, that you can't do it and that you have these struggles and you have to protect your ego. All right, the fourth one, you, ha you have a weak choice muscle. So if you had a choice between one donut now and two donuts much later, would you pick the donuts in front of you every time? Oh, this is back to the, um, the, the uh, marshmallow test, the delayed gratification. So you just, you're, not, you're, you're not making good choices is what they're saying. And then the, so the fifth one is you don't see your options. So one of the circles we have with choices is not seeing them. So we automatically move away from discomfort usually in ways that are not helpful in the long run or healthy. That to me, that's totally congruent with you don't have a plan. Like if you have a plan, yeah, everything becomes like you can use anything toward the realization of your, of your goal. Yeah. You know, yeah. Otherwise, you know, if I don't have a plan, then it's just, you know, I don't have any options. It just, it right. is what it is. And then the last one, you lack accountability. And so the more, um, to invite people into your lives to help with the change process. And I mean, that, I mean, there's coaching 101. So one of the best things you can do to keep yourself going is to join others who are on the same journey. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's the whole Buddhist thing of the Singha, the community, mm, you know, joining yeah. with people. And, and that one to me is interesting because like, if you look, I, I, I can't name any offhand right now, but there are examples, and this is throughout probably every industry that people come together and, you know, whether they're writers, whether they're film directors, whether they're visual, you know, painters or other visual artists. And then it's like, there's a circle, like a coffee group or a book club or something. And then like half of them become household names, you know, yeah. Yeah. but the other half or more in many other clubs and groups besides they never become famous or successful, quote unquote, successful. So the th I think what I'm trying to say with this is yeah, I think there's some value, very much there's some value in joining with other like-minded people who are striving for what you are, but there's also the possibility of falling into the, like, ain't it awful club. Like, oh, yes. we'd all, all day we're going to, someday we're all going to make it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So choose wisely. Yeah. Right. You know, misery does love company. 
Yeah. And I, I'd never heard this saying until I interviewed um, someone who's in the MG 100 also David Burkus. Oh yeah. 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 It's also Oklahoma. Yeah. But David was the one who said to me, um, he said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It's like, yes. I've never heard that before. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And, and then back to that exact point of you lack accountability. That's profound. I mean, just verbalizing, like having a plan, saying something out loud, writing a goal. And that's the story in thinking grow rich where Charles mm. Schwab went to the, I think it was a steel factory and they had no yes. quota. They had no goals. Right. And then he wrote a number on the concrete with a piece of chalk. And then all of a sudden the productivity went up simply because they had a goal. Yes. And they wanted to beat it. But then in our lives, like, so the power of declaring something, stating it publicly, quantifying it, and then having some kind of accountability structure that's going to help keep us true. <laughs> right. Yeah. And to avoid these little nuanced excuses like the weather. That's right. Because right? man, if you can't get past that, then the, these other wise sayings don't even really come into play. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Okay. Sure. I'm so curious. What'd you find? What'd you find? So what I found was in success magazine. So my wisdom of the pages this month comes from success magazine. And the article was it featured the former monk, now best-selling author and coach Jay Shetty, mm-hmm. who wrote the book, Think Like a Monk. And the, the article was all about Jay Shetty and building a personal brand. So this kind of, I guess, could cover the, be a great, uh, earn recognition and money. Falls under the earn, earn recognition money. Right. Um, the things that stood out to me about this that was pretty, pretty interesting distinction. So in the article, it was one of these that was almost like a profile where, you know, the, the author of the article fought, was with Jay during a photo shoot. And earlier that day, they'd been in New York City and Jay had been on the Today Show. And then, you know, they were in this event space where Jay's getting his hair done and, you know, like mm. he's able to talk while they're prepping for this um, photo shoot. And in this article, the author describes that Jay, when he was on the Today Show, he, he's asked by the producers, What's, what do you want us to put on your lower third? What do you want us to put? In other words, what do you want us to put on the screen when we have the little overlay that describes who you are? Right. And they put something like mindfulness expert and best-selling author. And Jay talked about how those are really vehicles. What he wishes they would have put instead was uh, his purpose, which is to help. I think Jay's purpose, he said, was to help. It was some number. I forget the number. It's like a hundred thousand people or a million people find their purpose. That's Jay's. That's evidently that's Jay's purpose at the moment or what he's declared. Okay. But I thought this was interesting that he distinguished between describing oneself in terms of one's purpose and in terms of one's role or title and seeing that title or that role as merely a vehicle for the purpose. Okay. I can, I can get there. So I've thought on this, I've thought a lot on this. Like when I studied with Jack Canfield more than 10 years ago and, and Jack, you know, he teaches these foundational concepts of personal growth and good living and and so forth. And of course, purpose was one of the modules. And I wrote this big flowery statement. He had this process to go through and articulate your life purpose. And I did, and I used it for years and years. And then it wasn't until the last couple of years that I thought, 
what if my purpose was just to be happy and help others be happy? Like, what if that was it in any moment? And what I love about a purpose is that again, kind of like that conversation, the weather doesn't derail the purpose, right? You know, external circumstances don't need to do, but in any moment that purpose is available to me. Now, some conditions or situations make it harder right. to be happy right? or maybe to, to help others be happy. But for me, I just thought, man, that could be, that could be a pretty cool life purpose. I like that. I coached to this idea of you should have a goal for every conversation. Do you think that's possible for you? It's and possible. If, it, sure. And if you did, what, what would it, what is it? Like, what would be the default goal? For every conversation, man, immediately what I think of is there's, there's at least three kinds of conversations because there's the kind of conversation I just want to enjoy. I just want to interact with someone. I want to relate with them. I might want to show them they're important to me. I love them. I care about them, that kind of thing. But at the core of that kind of conversation, I just want to enjoy it. Then there's conversations where I want to learn something or I want to become something. I want to know how did you sell so many books or how did you start your podcast? So there's like these conversations that there's a, there's very much an outcome I'm looking for. Right. right? That's, I would say it's self-interested. Like I want, like I said, I want to, I want to be able to produce a result in the world. I want to become something that I'm not currently, I want to solve a problem I have that kind of thing. But then there's another kind of conversation that's like, that is a result in the world. It's not necessarily about me becoming something or achieving something, but it's a result in the world. Like, Hey, you know, please quit using single service plastic items and then throwing them in a landfill or, yeah. you know, please quit for employees. This might be like, please, uh, please quit, um, stealing my office supplies <laughs> or something. <laughs> right. You know, but I think there's, I think there's at least those three kinds, the kind I enjoy the kind where I learn and grow and the kind where I produce some kind of result in the world. I really like how you came up with that so quickly. The common theme where I thought you were going to go is how you started with your life purpose. So state your life purpose again around happy. So if I, and uh, I haven't adopted this wholeheartedly. Like when I show up, right. when I roll out of bed in the morning, boom, this is present. And I'm focused on it as I go throughout every activity every day. But I did think, what if my purpose was simply to be happy and to help others be happy? And now to do that in those three dominant types of conversations, because I think it's possible. Sure. And that's what I love. I love that very much. And I would say I've had, I've had two of those three conversations. I don't know if I've had that third conversation with you to me. But how I experiencing how I experience you is that purpose that you just described. Mm. Well, thank when, you, Dave. <laughs> when we, we had, you're welcome. Like even when we were in Salt Lake City, after going on a four mile uh, hike, and we were looking for hydration, and we ended up going into the wrong place. Right. So we were looking for information, <laughs> but even <laughs> then, we showed up in your life purpose of being happy and making someone else be feel happy. That's very meaningful. Yeah. Be, it a, be it a waitress, the valet, or someone who's extremely important. Um, and to be able to live that out, it, yeah, it makes a tremendous difference. And your consistency yeah. in doing that is what makes it so true. Well, well, thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciated this article, this reminder 
you know, from Jay as someone that I think is a pretty remarkable teacher. Um, and ultimately, you know, I think success magazine was looking for a way to feature him while delivering value to readers beyond just, we got to spend some time with Jay Shetty. So when they wrap it around this building a personal brand, and then they asked Jay toward the end of the article, it was written, you know, what was his take on this? And what he said was, Mm. was interesting. It's pretty high level. So, you know, it's a, it's a concept or a framework might be valuable to people listening. I haven't like wrestled with it. So it's not supremely valuable to me, but I'd love to talk with you about it for a few minutes here. What he said is um, he said that he thinks in terms when it comes to building a brand and specifically when it comes to creating content, because content and a brand are almost inseparable. Yeah, not, I agree. Not necessarily, I agree. But often, I agree. right? Is he said he thinks in these three, in these three dimensions. He didn't use the word dimension, but genre, role, and format. And what what he means by that is he says, look, the genre that there's five basic feelings that every successful, meaning every viral piece of content has. This is his, right? This is his opinion. I'm, so I'm just kind of relating this uh, partly to explore the idea, partly in the hope it might be useful to someone. But, but Jay's contention is that, that every successful piece of content we create has one of five feelings that it delivers. Adventure, humor, inspiration, emotion, or surprise. I don't know what emotion is. It's what moving. Cause I would, I don't know. It could be sad, could be uplifting, but then it would be inspiration, right? So adventure, humor, inspiration, emotion, or surprise. That's his contention. But then you go, okay, so you're creating a piece of content aiming at eliciting or creating an emotion and one of these five emotions. Then he says, then there's it's evocative. Yeah, it's evocative. Right. And then he says, there's a role and the role is whatever draws your attention or uses your talents. And we all get to figure this out for ourselves. Is it interviewing people? Is it writing words? Is it creating, is it taking pictures or creating other art, you know, through technology or, or something else? So then what's the role that you're using as you attempt to evoke those feelings? And then what's the format? So there's a role that you take, but there's a format that your work follows, whether it's on a stage, whether it's scripted, whether it's unscripted, whether it's a blog, whether it's an interview, right? This kind of thing. So the assertion is that once we, and once we find the role that we play and the format that is going to allow us to then bring those um, feelings to people, mm. then we'll have the chance to create this content that will be our brand. And here's this statement right here. Um, the, so the magazine writes, the author uh, says, once you choose, no, it says, choose the right format for your role or vice versa and drive toward one of those five elemental sensations and you will have created a brand. And then Jay says, you're not thinking about how you're perceived. You're thinking about how does someone feel after they engage with who you are? That's what a brand is. A brand is how someone else feels about how you engage. I was like, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Isn't it? It is very interesting. I've taken my notes and I'm now, it's got me thinking about 
your lighting versus my lighting, your background versus my background, <laughs> the type of people you and I attract, how they're similar, how they're different, the type of audiences we have. Yeah, what they want, right? What they want and how we want them to feel. Of those five, adventure, humor, inspiration, emotion, and surprise, are those the five? That's what, yeah, adventure. That's right. Adventure, humor, inspiration, emotion, and surprise. Which one of those most closely jumps out to you? I mean, I, I know there's a whole lot of it. It depends. But which one do you think is, you, you already know the answer. What is it? For me? Yeah. Of Well, the one that appeals to me most personally and the one that I hope my work delivers to others is inspiration. Yeah, no doubt about it. What about you? Adventure and humor. Yeah, I mean, I you know, know what uh, I love? Yes. I mean, what I love about even, you know, this brick wall is just, it's just the, the, uh, the comedy type scene. Yeah. It does you look know, a bit like a stand up. Yeah. When I get asked that question, you know, what's, what's the, what would you love to do if money wasn't necessary? I mean, I'd uh, love to be a stand up comic. I love adventure. I love inspiration too. I mean, I like all of these, but I think my, I think my brand is adventure and humor. I could see that. You know, my, my tagline and, or, you know, my purpose is to inspire insight and shift perspective that has real meaning. Right. My purpose isn't to choose it for you of what should you do, but I'll do whatever's necessary. Be the fool if necessary to inspire insight and shift perspective. Mm. I love that. If that's yeah. my purpose, I'd love that. I, I think you're, I think you're there. I think though, I would add to yours though. And maybe this is implicit in what you're saying, but there is for me, like when I kind of read your brand, so to speak, mm-hmm. I think there's service, a contribution or impact. Mm. I think that that's something that that's evident with you that and, and part of what's there at the root of that, I think is care. Yeah. You know? I think that, you know, my three, you know, these maybe for the first time, but adventure advocacy and awe, right? So yeah. that advocacy part, that service side the, to bring a voice to assist a partner that's really deep inside of me. Yeah. I, I know that. Well, this, I think this wisdom of the pages was um, I enjoyed it and I'm grateful yeah. that we did it, whether it's, how we can know and maybe better quit lying to ourselves <laughs> or that's about personal branding. Um, so, so I thought that was cool. And then I know we're just about at the end of our time. So what shall we end with? Do we have something we normally end with? I know we didn't get through everything, but uh, yeah, so just, no. just your three questions, you know, around the um, living a better life or, or recognition yeah, or money. How to live a good life, how to earn recognition and money, and how to be a great coach. And we've covered a lot of that, I think, in the conversation already. But with anything that that um, brings up for you, Dean, what would you like? What's maybe our final thoughts or what would we like to leave people listening with? Something that's been on my mind. Hearing a lot about emotions. And what do we do with these emotions? And even, you know, just these roles and the genres and adventure and humor and inspiration, surprise and emotion. Here's what Plato 
would argue that emotions were a source of disorder and should be controlled by the rational part of the soul. Mm. And then Aristotle agreed and then went on to say that the irrational passions are like disease, which infect the soul. I hope that's not how we see it today. So I, I think there's something to, to, to lean into this highly sensitive person. Brene Brown talks about these 84 emotions. And most of us in our, in our daily activity can identify with three or four of them. That's leaving 80 of them outside of our reach. Let's don't do that. I think as coaches, to be able to inspire and shift perspective and invite them into who they can be, we've got to get more comfortable with these emotions. They're not a disease. They're not to be rationed or rationalized away. We need to get comfortable with those and finding our true expression in that, in that emotional wheel. I'm trying to get better at that. I hope you're trying to get better at that as a listener. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's powerful. Um, I heard it said once that emotion is life, right? And that emotion nice. is what moves us, right? That same root of, and I think the Latin, emover, which is like to move out, is mm-hmm. the same root as emotion. And looking at the emotion is something that has a message and that has a motivation and honoring that and not trying to shut it up or deny it. You know, I think that's, I think that's a really beautiful, a really beautiful message. I think it's important for our own health and enjoyment because some emotions are their own reward. Just feeling gratitude, feeling joy, feeling playfulness or curiosity. Other emotions are painful, but if we interpret those as, Hey, there's a message here and even a gift. Yeah. So good. Brilliant. Emotion is life. Yeah. Yeah. What a great, yeah. What a great, a great way to end. Yeah. And, and the thing that I would say too, that I think goes right along with what you're saying is about, and, and, and this to me, it even transcends the, the Jay Shetty, the genre role, the format, like all this is, is this is authenticity and it's an overused word, but allowing ourselves to be ourselves, you know, in public, in private, like, and we won't always be the same, the exact same person in every moment, in every situation with every group of people, but that there is an essence to us. And there is a truth inside us that is seeking expression and mm. being willing to share that with other people, you know, for its own sake, for our own sake, this is the thing David Kadavy says, I love, he talks about how our ego is always at odds with our art. And that our ego is, is intended to keep us safe, but our art is seeking expression and that we will never become self-realized or self-actualized without making our art, without wow. putting it into the world, because it's the truest expression of who we are. And I, I love his description of that. His ego is like the shell <laughs> that his art is trying to break out of and his self is trying to break out. Yeah. Of. Great imagery. Yeah. It's really, really a beautiful thing. And being willing to, to allow that part of ourselves to be seen and, and whatever those emotions are that are driving it and, and not to make ourselves wrong for any emotion that we feel, mm-hmm. you know, because all emotion, this was something that I heard too, about every emotion, all emotions are human. They're not always all healthy, but it, at a time, every emotion is healthy. Every emotion is appropriate. Now there's times that we can get stuck in patterns of emotion and they can become dysfunctional and they can become healthy, 
but allowing ourselves. And, and John Wineland, by the way, this was a thing in that workshop back to John Wineland. Mm-hmm. He said on this, on the other side of any emotion felt fully is peace. And it's when we don't allow ourselves to feel wow. the depth, whatever it is that's yearning to be felt that we get trapped in these like modes of existence that are less than, less than fulfilling, less than peaceful. Amazing. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you today. Dean. Yeah, it was my pleasure. And I know we're, we're at the very, very end of our time and I have another project that I want to ask you about, and maybe we can even shift some of these if we keep going. Yeah. So let's talk more about what the future of the Coach's Commonplace book is. And I want to talk with you about one project in particular I'm interested in pursuing that maybe you can be a part of or an accountability partner for me in or something like that. I'm intrigued. I'm leaning in, my friend. <laughs> okay. Well, next time, that's the teaser. Woo-hoo. So, all right. We'll talk again soon. So thank you, Dean. And thank you, everyone listening. <laughs>